0: So why do these, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about um, systems of uh, letters of exchange in the Torah, and gematria, and the musical trope, the musical uh, symbols in which the Torah is read, and understanding that all of these things as ways to access the infinity of the Torah. If you imagine that the Torah is an ocean, you have to get into the depths of the Torah. The written word on the page is two-dimensional. So how are we going to access the infinity of the Torah? So, so the, the Chachamim have given us different ways to access that which would not be immediately available to us. Now, where this gets tricky is you can say, well, wait a second, now I have license. I can turn any word into any word. I can turn a circle into a square. I can turn something that's completely forbidden into something that's permitted. In fact, I read that the Vilna Gaon. one of the reasons why the Vilna Gaon saw fit to excommunicate the Hasidim, was he felt that they were going to, um, because they were seeing the, uh, the presence of God in absolutely everything, and God is present everywhere and in everything, so that, that concept is not correct, but he felt that they were going to take that in a, in a direction where they would start to announce that the impure is pure, And, and, and take it to the next step. Which is, which is fascinating. That's one of the jobs of, of, of our spiritual leaders is when they say, you know something? This is heading in a wrong direction. And the people themselves might not feel as though it, it is wrong at the moment. And it may not be wrong in the moment, but it in fact may be heading in a wrong direction. So, what I heard was, you know, the whole history of the, uh, development of the Hasidic movement and and all the challenges that it faced, anyone who studies it knows that these were incredibly holy, incredibly sincere, incredibly upright people. So how could it be that they were suspected in such a way that, that, that the movement itself would have to be excommunicated? And you look at it from that point of view and you go, you know what? They were all mistaken. But then I heard someone say, I don't know who said this exactly, maybe, maybe many people have said this, and I don't think this, this thought that I'm about to say can be discounted, which is that by excommunicating them, they re-examined how they proceeded with their own program. So in other words, that's not to say that the Hasidim would have gone into this direction, rendering the impure pure by saying that God is absolutely everywhere, so there's nothing, there's nothing that the status of impurity can't possibly exist if God is everywhere. So, maybe they wouldn't have said it immediately. But, the fact that their whole movement was put into serious check and scrutiny, I think that maybe they proceeded more cautiously. They must have. Not that they would have said those things to begin with, but still. Go ahead. So, if, if a person really wants to be lestranged online and yeah. Right. And they're doing things for the right reasons and they want to have clarity like their right. health and so forth. Yeah. Like is that a guarantee that like if they consistently um, just really want like have the goal and, and the feeling to be le and that they're not going to use something like this for the wrong purpose? Well, something yeah. like what for the wrong like, purpose? Like, do, let's say, right. What they doing at the right. Time. So the thing is is that it says in Per Ciabos, Everyone has to have a rav. Everyone has to have a friend, and things like that. And and part of one's um, dedication to wanting to do the will of God is that when they get themselves into a situation where they don't know what the answer is, they go and they check with someone. So, yeah, so so, so if a person puts themselves in that proper environment, then, then they will be protected, absolutely. Now, does that mean that a person might say the wrong thing in a conversation when they didn't mean to, or maybe they'll be confronted with a test where they don't know what to do at that moment and they'll make a mistake that way. Um, yeah, that, that's possible, certainly. But the, the larger things and things like that, people, you know, you know uh, it says that if someone really wants to do the will of God, that God directs them in that direction where they're able to do it. So you, a, a person does receive divine protection. But a person will always encounter tests. You know, it's a longer story, but I just want to cut to the punchline, which is that um, I heard in the name of uh, uh, Rabbi Brod, who, who, who uh, heard it from Reb Shlomo directly, that um, if a person is in need to consult a Rav to ask a rabbi a question, and there isn't um, a rabbi around who he can ask, then... Um, Oh, that's okay. That that would would uh he, that Reb Shlomo had a tradition in his family, ask a fool the question and do the opposite. <laughs> so that's um that's interesting. I've never I, I've never had the opportunity to use that. I I I hope I don't have to use that. But that's uh that that is a tool that's available to us, I guess. So how. So people, I think, become confused or suspicious or cynical or, you know, whatever, shy, perhaps, that, well, how can I use these various techniques of plumbing the depths of the Torah? Because can't I just turn anything into anything? How do I know that I'm not going to take something that's us or that's forbidden and then say that it's permitted or something like this? Okay, so so it's a good question so so uh a person a person can' innovate on their own you know it's it's funny when when the just as a kind of a side note when we started the the happy minion of Los Angeles, which was really a um, an attempt to establish you know a a minion in the in the in the in the derach um in the path of Shlomo karbach uh, here in Los Angeles, you know we said listen we're Whatever Reb Shlomo did up until now, you know he had already was already nipped or had already passed away. We said we're not going to go to the left of Reb Shlomo. Whatever he innovated, that's it. Those were his innovations. We're not going to inno- we're not going to say yes in the spirit of his innovating. We are going to innovate. No, we're not going to do anything more to the left than whatever he did. And and so so. When it comes to innovating, that's, that's when it gets uh, tricky, and, and I think one should refrain from that. Um, but y- you can see all sorts of amazing things, just confirmations of all sorts of things. You know, it says basically that, um, I saw from in uh, the writings of uh, Rabbi um, Shapiro, Moshe Shapiro, and um, he was bringing it from a chida who I think was explaining an, an, an Ari, um, or maybe, anyway, it was from the chida, but the chida the was bringing it from someone else, I don't, know, I don't know who, maybe from Yehudah HaKhasud, I'm not sure, but it was a ama- very amazing thought. You know, according to the Gomorrah, there are really seven books in the, in the Torah not five books. And how does it work? Because everybody knows that there's that section Vayihib and So'a Aron Vayom HaMesheh when they're moving the Ark, that that's bracketed off in two giant nuns. A big nun and then an upside-down nun. And the Gemara considers that one book in the Torah. Which means that everything before that is a book. Everything after that's a book, that's a book. So you've got four books, which... Don't have those, that, that, that set-aside thing. But where that does appear, that turns that one book into three books. The period before the brackets, the period after the brackets, and the bracketed section. Which is 80-something words long, that bracketed section. Okay? So that makes seven books of the Torah. So it says that that bracketed section is a small book that's actually a large book. And Rabbi Shapiro explains something amazing. Because it's talking about the traveling of the ark in the desert. Now, this is me explaining it. We haven't gotten to the thought yet, but I'm just trying to create a context so it will be more understandable. Um, Well, let me tell you the thought first, and you'll better grasp the explanation of it. The thought is that in the end of days, that all of the period from the last inscribed book, written account of human history, right, That we are going to have an inscribed account throughout of the entire exile till Mashiach comes. Which means that our conversations and our times and all times since the last written historical account will be written up. And when it says that that small book is actually a small book that's a large book, what they understand that to mean is that area is going to, that, that bracketed area, is going to be expanded to include all of human history, a written account of all of human history, till Mashiach comes. This is after the arrival of Mashiach. Which means, you can get into the Torah. You, your name, your action, your mitzvah, can be written up in the Torah. You know, in the industry, there's a term that I always like, you know, there's some fun term, some fun slang and if someone gets uh, written up, say, in variety or something like that, uh, I think this is an old-fashioned term. I don't think people use it too much, but it's like sort of like, you know, golden age of Hollywood slang, which is, a, they refer to that as ink. So someone would say, hey, nice ink, meaning you got a nice write-up, right? So you can get ink in the Torah. <laughs> you could get, or... On the on the downside, a person could get some bad ink in the Torah, right? You don't want any bad ink, that's for sure. But you could actually make it into the Torah. That in itself is, I mean, wow! That's I didn't even know that that opportunity was available to me. That's that's pretty extraordinary. So um, so the point is, the point is, is that that's a small book that's going to be a large book. That the whole thing is going to be written up. All of human history is going to be written up. Um, and you'll be able to read about the whole history of humanity. Now, and that's the section that's going to be expanded. Now, let me give you my understanding of that. Why that section? Well, it's it's it's, it's very appropriate because we've talked about it's, it's talking about the traveling of the ark through the desert. Well, that's classic, isn't it? Because because we've said many many times that the travelings in the desert. Everyone knows there were forty two stops in the desert. And the Rebbe say that each one of us has 42 stops in our own lives. Not only that, but the, the traveling in the desert is a microcosm of all of human history. Because we left Egypt, you start from exile, and we went to Israel. That's redemption, that's Mashiach. So the traveling in the desert is, is the body of human history in miniature. right? So if it's talking about what are we doing? We are escorting the Torah throughout time. That's what we're doing, that's what the Jewish people are doing. So, the traveling of the Ark in the desert, it makes perfect sense that that that, that section would be expanded to account for all of human history. Because throughout history, we have been escorting the Ark through the exile on the way to redemption, right? follows. Makes sense. So, so anyway. So, this system of Atbash, which is one of these letters of exchange, one of the ways of accessing the infinite depths of the Torah. So it works like this At Bash. At Aleph is the first letter of the Torah. Taf is the last letter of the Torah. At. Right? Bash. Bez is the second letter of the Torah. Shin is the second to last letter of the Torah. So you exchange Aleph for Taf, Bez for Shin. Gimel for Resh, Dalit for Kuf, and it's the opposites. Right? You follow? So that's pretty straightforward. Now, you can take certain words and you can find their Atbash equivalent, which is not the backward formation of the word, but we're talking about accessing another dimension. Because it's not a linear system. I mean, you can write the alphabet in a straight line and then just reverse them. And you can say, oh, well, within that line, we're reversing it. But no, you're accessing another dimension. When you say that I'm taking dalid and and I'm exchanging dalid for Kuf, you're going into another dimension, another level of understanding that the Torah exists in. Is that clear? Because that's very important. It's not clear. I didn't get that yesterday. I thought you were just talking about the first and last letters. I didn't understand. It's all the I in-between mean- letters. All the in-between letters. Now, it's very important that you understand that we're not just talking about this on a linear, linear level. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, just so you can grasp what, what, what this is affording us. Okay? Um, you have something called um, regular geometry. So, in academia, academia, they call it uh, Euclidean geometry, named after, I guess, the Greek Euclid. And um, that's sort of classic geometry. So, in classic geometry, the definition of parallel lines, right? Imagine, uh, you know, Broadway and Amsterdam Avenue, or imagine Pico and Olympic, or something like that. There are two lines that one is on top of the other, and they run that way forever. They never intersect. That's the definition of parallel lines. Okay? Now, in more advanced um, geometry, what we call three-dimensional geometry, or non-Euclidean geometry, that's, that's sort of like seeing how shapes and patterns developed against curved space. Right? When we're talking about parallel lines, we're talking about it, well, those are two lines on a flat surface. And they just, each one runs in its own direction and they'll never intersect. That's great. But what if you put those parallel lines on curved space? Well, now parallel lines will operate in a completely different way. They actually intersect in curved space. All right? So this is very, very interesting, you know? Now, I've talked about this before. And let me make the point now, because it's, it's actually one of my favorite points. This realm that we're living in right now would be the equivalent of curved space. The next world would be the equivalent of Euclidean geometry, where everything is straight and all the accounts are clear. Because you will agree that parallel lines are never supposed to intersect. That's normal, right? But that's the realm of truth and clarity. That's the next world. We're living in a place where things are all mixed up. Where parallel lines actually intersect. So that's this world. Everyone clear? Okay. Now, how does this work? Because in the next world, what do I have to do with, say, the Baal Shem Tov? Right, the Baal Shem Tov is going to be like at the top of heaven and I'm not going to be at the top of heaven. That's the realm of parallel lines where he's got his spot and I have my spot and the two don't intersect. In fact, you know, it, they, they say that, that, that in the next world you'll, you'll look at another person's Ulama ba who's maybe above you and you go, you gnash your teeth a little bit. Like, ah, oh, that would have been nice. <laughs> it would have been nice to have led my life in a, in a way that I could have had that. That would have been cool. But Anyway, but at the same time, though, it's incredibly pleasurable. So it's infinitely pleasurable, but at the same time, you're aware that higher levels of pleasure exist. So that sounds like a contradiction, but I guess in, in that realm it isn't. So, so what's the point? The point is, is that the Baal Shem Tov is the Baal Shem Tov, and I'm me, and that's the world of clarity, and parallel lines don't intersect, and that's what it is. Okay, ah, but now listen to this. What about this realm? In this realm, where everything is mixed up, parallel lines do intersect. So what does that mean? That means that I can walk to a bookshelf and pick up the Sefer, the Baal Shem Tov, and learn it, and boy, that's a big intersection, isn't it? Because all of a sudden we're sitting together. You know what's great about a book? You know? Anytime you want the person... That person could have the busiest schedule in the world, but he's working on your schedule. Anytime you open up the book, he's right there for you. And he's happy to repeat the thought as many times as he likes. <laughs> as you like. You can just read the paragraph over and over again, Right? So it's totally available to you. So this is this is the amazing thing: parallel lines in this dimension intersect. Now, but but now let's let's take this back to the next step because there's actually a a, a wonderful. I'll give you another example of this, which is that you know great great Torah scholars even while they're in this world and you're in this world with them, they're actually in another world even though they're in this world with you. Because where their minds are and what they're grasping and the depths of reality that they're comprehending are so beyond where the regular person is. Not that they're not human beings and not that they don't face the exact same challenges in many ways that that someone else does. But how expanded their consciousness is is like they're in a different place. I'll give you another example of this. One of my favorite stories from growing up, um, my father uh, loved to share this, I love Shalom. and uh, he came home one time he had a, a contact and was able to get um a pen that uh, that then President Nixon had signed a bill into law. and this was right um as the Watergate thing was starting to heat up and um and uh, so so I was there with my uh older brother and older sister. And and he, my father, sort of very proudly showed us this pen that the president had used to sign a bill into law that that, that he had, and you know, there was a little medal of Richard Nixon next to it, and it was in this little velvet case. And my brother's reaction it was, um, he's a crook. Why would we want that? And my sister's reaction was, how do we know that he really used that to sign the bill? And then my reaction was. He's going to get impeached, that's going to be worth a lot of money. So (laughs) you had three entirely different reactions to the same thing. And my father said on another occasion, a related thought, he was talking about three kids, like ages, I don't know, two, six and ten, that Mm. they're all inhabiting different worlds. And we know that. Because how a child sees it, how the ten year old sees it. So so, so bringing it back to our thought of a, a great Talmud Chachem, a great Torah scholar whose consciousness is so expanded, when they're with us, yeah, we're sharing the same world, we're not really sharing the same world. But we can talk to them and they can talk back. And we can ask them questions and all the rest. Again, this is the concept of parallel lines intersecting in this realm. Because normally speaking, you would not have access to that because that's in a different dimension. But here in this realm... You can interact in a way that's a unique opportunity. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that, as far as I understand, you have heavenly academies, heavenly yeshivas in the next world. And in order to get into those heavenly academies, there are different ones, you have to have a connection to that, to the Rosh Yeshiva. You know, to the head of the academy. So, let's say, let's go back to the example of the Baal Shem Tov, right? So, there's going to be, there's a heavenly academy run by that Baal Shem Tov. So, how do I get access into that? Well, if I just said that, that he's up there and I'm all the way down there, where parallel lines don't intersect in the world of clarity in the next world, right? How am I going to get into that Yeshiva? I can't, I don't have access to that dimension in order to be able to walk through the door, so to speak. Right? Humanly speaking. So, how do I get there? Okay. So, I'll tell you how you get there. The way you get there is if you study his words in this world, then you do have a connection for the next world. Oh, I know you. Yeah. You're the one who learned this. Yeah. Come on in. Grab a seat. So, that's great. Great. That is great. You want to basically do some serious networking in this world so you can get into all the amazing places in the next world. You can literally write your ticket in this world for the next world to gain access to the most exalted realms of heaven. And how do you do that? By establishing, by studying the Torah of these greats in this world. If you do that, then you have, you have a pass to get in. That's, that's a very big deal. That's a, I don't know if I'd call that a secret. But, you know. So study, 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 study. Because on, on these bookshelves, it looks like a book, it's a passport. That's a passport to another realm. Right now, parallel lines intersect. It's not going to be that way in the next world. Parallel lines are not going to intersect. Ah, but... If you learn the Torah in this world, then you're part of that line in the next world. You don't have to intersect, because you are part of that line at that point. Okay. So now... I brought all that so that you should understand this notion of how dimensions intersect in this realm, whereas in the next world, which is the, we say, the olam ha'emes, the world of truth, the world of clarity, parallel lines do not intersect. In this world, they do intersect. Now, let's revisit this notion of atbash, this notion of letters of exchange, by the way, I want to tell you something that I got very excited about that I noticed, which is where do you see Atbash? Where does this come from? So it comes from the Gomorrah itself. You can't ask for a better source than that, right? So, and where is it in the Gomorrah? It's in Mesechta Shavas. And where is it in Mesechta Shavas? On page Kuf Dalit. Kuf Dalit is in Atbash. The page that explains Atbash is on Kuf Dalit. And I'm telling you, the sages were rolling on the floor laughing. When they did that. They were rolling on the floor laughing. So, I'm just waiting. Oh! Man, when they figure that out in Los Angeles. They're going to, man, they're going to laugh. We're laughing with them right now. So, um, anyway. So, so, the way Rabbi Blech explained it. We're talking about Atbash. The way Rabbi Blech explained it, and and again, what what I want what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pry pry your mind off of a linear approach. So just to review one more time, Atbash is a system of letter exchange which allows you to go into the depths of Torah analysis. So it's one one way of doing it, and again to remind you, we have a mathematical way of doing it. We have a musical way of doing it with the musical notes, the crowns of the letters. There's so many ways of doing it because the Torah is infinite. Okay, so at means you're taking the first letter of the Torah and exchanging it with the last letter of the Torah. So if you have a, a word that has an aleph in it, you turn the aleph into a tuff. If you have, and, and you continue to do it, that's the at part. What about the bash part? You take be's, the second letter of the Torah, and you take the second to last letter of the Torah the shin and you exchange those and you keep on doing it throughout the entire thing now there are 22 letters so that works very nicely 11 and 11 you can write one row with 11 and then put another row of 11 underneath it and those are the flips you just flip those letters interestingly because I, I, I think it's important that people grasp how, how to apply this the Baal um, in the discussion of the uh, the gifts that the leaders of the tribes, the Nesim brought to the, um, to the Mishkan when it was dedicated, does a deep analysis of all of the gifts. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Um, he takes one word, I forgot what it was, but he does atbash with just one letter within the word. Okay? One letter within the word. In other words, what's so striking about that is just on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the, just the meat and potatoes level of Torah methodology... You see that that in order to to, to utilize the system of an atbash, you don't necessarily have to do it with the entire word. You could just do it with one letter within the word. And what he does is, and I can't give you the example right now, but if you look in the Balatorum, you'll see it's in um you know where 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 the nassim bring the, the the gifts. He takes one letter, does an atbash with it, and then he says the of this the gematria of this word now is six hundred and thirteen. So he just turned the gematria. So that's what I love about that is look what he did. He did three amazing things. He just changed one letter, not the entire word. And then he showed you the gematria is 613. So that's a whole nother system. He went from atbash to gematria to just using one letter into the whole thing. I mean, so so this is kind of what I'm talking about. The the unsophisticated person who doesn't understand what the Torah is will say, wow, he's doing all sorts of tricks with the Torah. He's doing all sorts of tricks. And I can do all sorts of tricks too. But the person is missing the point. The point is is that there are infinite stratas of the Torah. Because the Torah encompasses all of reality itself because it's not just a book. It's not just a scroll in the ark. It's the fabric of reality itself. Therefore, all of these systems are available in order to plumb the depths of God's will and of God's wisdom. Now, we've already talked about not misusing this and being guided by by a rabbi and not trying to use this to innovate, to try to turn the impure into the pure, the forbidden into into the permitted. One mustn't utilize it in that way because then you turn, as the Gemara talks about it, the potion of life, which is Torah, into a potion of death. Okay? So one, one mustn't do such a thing. However, one should understand that, that we have to broaden our minds in order to understand the, the depths, the infinite depths, like an ocean, how you can dive deeper and deeper within an ocean. Okay. So now, I'm bringing this up again to tell you that Atbash, don't make the mistake of just thinking of it as I'm making a line of letters and then on a very linear level, on a very Euclidean level, I'm just switching them back and forth. That's not it. When you make that switch from one letter to another letter, you're going from one dimension to another dimension. That's, That's the point that I'm trying to make. Hopefully, I'm communicating. So, So now, Rabbi Blech says the following. Very interesting. But let me tell you what Rabbi Shapiro says first. What what is this whole idea of Atbash? What is this whole idea? Again, you're going, you're basically understanding, as Rabbi Blech would say it, you've basically got two alphabets. I don't know if I would say it that way. That's, he's much bigger than I am, so he likes to say it that way. That's great. I would say maybe there are two portals, two portals to access reality through. Okay? The Aleph through tough portal and the Toph through Aleph portal. Okay? Interestingly, he points out that you know what the, the, the most used to- uh, word in the entire Torah is? The most appearing word in the entire Torah is S or Et, which is spelled Aleph Taf. most frequently used Torah uh, word in the entire Torah, and of course everybody knows. In the beginning of the Torah, it says, "Breishis bara Elokim, Et Hashemayin Ha'ares." In the beginning, Hashem created S Aleph Tav with the letters of the Aleph Beis. God created Es HaShemayim, the Es HaAretz. So the Chernobler points out, the Me'or Enayim points out that you've got basically two realms of olive bays Es HaShemayim, the olive through top of Shemayim, this heavenly aspect of the letters, the Es HaAretz, the more earthbound manifestations of the letters in this realm. So here already we're talking about. The alphabet says they're existing in different dimensions, if you will. <clears throat> and now we're talking about the different dimensions, accessing them in different ways. Olive through tough or tough backward through olive. Okay? So, so listen to this. Boy, I Okay. Alright. We'll skip we'll skip Rabbi Shapiro for now. Well, now that I said that. I can't do it. So, so, so he says the following. What does it mean? And then we'll get to what it means again, maybe on a more, more, more uh, nuts and bolts level. But this is getting into the idea of it, which is essential to grasp. Because again, you must understand when the sages embrace something, when they put something in the Gomorrah, they're serious about it. They're not showing you parlor tricks. They're not showing you card tricks. We've got to get our minds away from from debasing the Torah in that way. It's, 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 it's ugly. It's ugly. It's the, it's the utmost misapplication of intelligence. We have to strive to understand what it's talking about. So, so Rabbi Shapiro explains the so following. He says, when Someone speaks. You can only fully understand what it is that they're saying after they finish communicating the thought. Until you hear the entirety of the thought, you can't understand what that thought was. Now, I'll give you a very, a very simple explanation of that, a very simple uh, example of that. I'm, if I'm giving you directions how to get to a place, I'll say... Okay, you leave your house, you take a right on Olympic, you take a left on Overland, you get on the 405 South, you take that to Century, right, you take a left, and then I give you the address, it's 9602 Century Boulevard, second floor. Now, until I finished, you you don't know exactly where it is that you're going. You, right? Until the end, you did not fully comprehend what it is that I was saying to you. Because you kind of got the direction, but you didn't get the place. When Hashem speaks, He speaks all of, through tough. Until we get to the tough, we haven't fully grasped the end of the thought. Once we've grasped the thought in its entirety, then we understand. Then we can proceed and apply whatever the instructions are. That's Aleph through Toph. Now, what's tough through Aleph? Now, the listener, the one who has reached the stage of Toph, who has heard the end of the thought, who has comprehended it, can now apply it, okay? So, do you apply it top through olive? Is that what you are saying? Is that where you are going at? Well, well, now I am going to now I am going to switch thoughts. Now I am going to switch thoughts, and um, and say. Say what Rabbi Blech said. Now, I, I, I didn't hear the, the source of where he said this from, but he's got lots of supports and it makes a lot of sense, and it's important to hear. Aleph through Taf, he says, is the um, Midas Rachamim. It's the attribute of Hashem's mercy and would correlate, say, with the Yudke Right? And he says as an illustration of this. Now, understand, you're going to have questions on these points afterwards when you grasp what I'm saying. And I'll even ask the questions that you may be thinking or what you'll eventually think if you start thinking about it a lot. So understand that what I'm about to say are illustrations of this point, not proofs of the point, okay? They're just illustrations of the point. Accept this just as a Masora, as a tradition, and let's leave it at that, but I'll give you illustrations. So, Aleph through Taf is Chesed, is kindness, is, is, is compassion, would correlate with the yud k vav kei. Taf through Aleph would be Midas had Okay? That would be more of a gvura dick approach, or uh, more in keeping with the name Elokim. Okay? So, so, Aleph through Taf, Rachmim, Tough through olive, din, judgment. Okay? Just accept that as a tradition. Accept that as a masore. I'm not going to give you illustrations, but you have questions on the illustrations. That's fine. But just accept that. Okay. So so where do we see Olive through Tuf as an example of compassion? Well, let's go through the sequence. Olive, Bays. Bays and Bays are the same letter. That spells av. So, that's the compassion of a father. Okay? So, that's, 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 that's Midas Rachmin. Starts out with Av. Okay? Now, let's go backwards. What is the day of judgment, literally, in the Jewish calendar? Yom Hadin is the first day. It's Rosh Hashanah. The day of judgment is judgment day. That's Rosh Hashanah. That's the first day of the month of Tishrei. Tishrei how is it spelled? Taf, Shin, Resh. It's going backwards through the Aleph base. That's Din. That's judgment. So you see, one Av, Father, is coming from compassion. The other going backwards, tough through Aleph. Okay, so now you'll say to me, wait a second. Av is also the month. That's compassion. It's also the month of Tishab, the destruction of the base of Migdash, Right? You would have eventually asked that question if you didn't already. So, so yes, but our tradition is also that Mashiach is born on Tisha B'Av. And also that there is such a thing as compassion that has an aspect of judgment in it. Everyone knows that they're a parent of, meaning a parent now. Anyone who's a parent sometimes does something from compassion for their kid, even though the kid experiences it as something harsh. Right? But it's really for the best of the kid. And it's really coming from a place of compassion. Even if the child doesn't necessarily experience it that way. Right? On the, on the other side of it, you can have something that's judgment, which is actually good. You know what? You get to go to the movies. Because you behaved well. Well, that's coming from a place of very strict judgment. Did you, did you do your homework on time? Yes. Yes. Did you did you get a good mark on your report card? Yes. Well guess what? You can go to Disneyland. Well that's coming from a very strict application of Din of justice, but there's a very happy ending there, isn't there? So I think that we tend to think that compassion always has to equal, oh yay, I win, ice cream, right? But not necessarily. And and we also think, oh judgment, I'm hiding under the couch. But why? You may earn. You may have legitimately earned something very wonderful. So we again. Let's just clarify that. And, and so, so now. So now we'll begin to see something very cool. So. So now, when we do Atbash, we're we're we we're, we're, we're traveling. Remember, again, I'm saying that. Don't think of this on an in, on, a, on a linear level. Understand we're. We're transposing dimensions. Okay, olive through Taf, We're going through this gate of, of din, of gevura, of the the name of Hashem Elkin, Say right, oh, no. through, Taf through olive. Sorry, olive through Taf, a, Another 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 gate, another portal. Rachmin, Chesed, Yudkevadke. And now, when we're exchanging letters, we're we're going from dimension to dimension. Does everyone hear now? It's not just we're, we're, we're flipping letters on a piece of paper. Right? There's vast more going on now. Now, listen to this. There is, maybe there's more than one word, maybe there are many words, but I'm aware of one word, which is the same when you do it in Atbash. What is that word? Tzedakah. So now, this is me talking. I didn't figure that out. That's famous. But I, I started thinking about it. Why would tzedakah be the same both ways? Because, and tzedakah means righteousness. It means justice. Right? And that's, like I know the Lubavitcher Rebbe makes this point, that don't think when you're giving tzedakah to someone, you're the nice guy. No, this is right. This is, this is justice. This is an application of justice. Okay? What would be the perfect mix of compassion and din? Of compassion and judgment? What would be the perfect mix? What would you call the perfect mix? Justice! Right? Isn't that what justice is? You want to, oh, he, he grew up in a broken home. And he had, there was never any food on the table. And that's why he did that. Well, a good judge will go, well, you know something, there's a really good point there, yeah. He had, he had it tough. At the same time, though, he broke the law, and he knew he was breaking the law. But at the same time, there were very pressing things. A very wise judge will make a perfect mix of decision, which will render the perfect mix of, of, of strict judgment and compassion, right? And that equals Justice. Which is why in Atbash, when you intersect the names of Rachmin and Din, the intersection spells justice both ways. Right? Isn't that cool? I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. So... Um... So let's just talk for a moment about um, deriving things from the infinity of the Torah. And, um, you know, we're, there, there, there are two opinions um, in the Gomorrah when Tubishvat is. One is that it's the first day of the month of Shvat, and the other is that it's the 15th of, of Shvat the month of Shabbat, um and that's how we hold, that's the opinion of Hillel. The first of the month of Shvat is, is the opinion of, of um, Shammai, Be Shammai. So, so uh, we just entered into this exalted month. It's an exalted month for many, many reasons. Um, one reason is because the book of uh, Sefer Devarim, the fifth book of the Torah, uh, also known as Deuteronomy, It says right in the Torah itself that it it, it began on the first day of the 11th month, which is Shvat. So Moshe Rabbeinu started saying Sefer Devarim the first day of the month of Shvat. Okay? Now, now there's a lot to that. I noticed something which I thought was kind of interesting, which is that if you take the word Shvat and you take the Mispar Kutten of Shvat, I'll explain what that means in a moment. So the Gematria Shvat, is three hundred and eleven, okay? And then if you add three plus one plus one, that gives you five. So Shvat equals the fifth book of the Torah, right? Because on the first day of Shvat, the fifth book of the Torah, Devarim, started being said. Um, I'll tell you something else about Shvat, or about Devarim, is that is that it's the only book of the whole Torah that begins with the letter Aleph. Um, Aleph. Of course, is the highest highest letter, right? Aleph stands for Hashem because Aleph is one, and Hashem is one. So Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy reached to this letter of the Aleph. So, what does it mean? What does it mean, the Torah Shaval? Peh? So, you know, the the oral the oral law. To be able to plumb the depths of the written word so that you understand the intention of the one who spoke it, and then to be able to speak out that which isn't written, but which is 100% consistent with the speaker's intention. That's what Torah Pe is. To be able to derive that which wasn't spoken, but which was intended. That's what it means, the fruits from the truth. When you first plant a tree, there are no fruits. But then, fruits blossom from the tree. This is the Torah path. That thought, by the way, is from the Stachina Rebbe, who is the son-in-law of, of uh, Rabbi Wilson. Shlita. So, so, being able to grasp he says, this is a concept of zivug also. You know, have you ever been in a relationship with someone where you complete each other's sentences? Right? You know, or if you, like one of the things that I used to enjoy so much, my father used to love to tell stories, and, and I'm sure I got that from him. And, and uh, I, after a period of years, I would so enjoy when I knew the story he was about to tell before he told it. Maybe if you've listened to enough of these things, you you know what I'm gonna do the same thing. But there's a special joy that comes from that knowledge. Sometimes it can be a, a source of aggravation too, I guess. But but um but but that closeness means that you're sharing the same root. You're sharing the same root. Um, this comes from a merging of being to subsume your being into that of another. To subsume yourself into the Torah is to join at the root of the Torah and to be able to say words of Torah which are a blossoming of the Torah itself. To draw forth, forth fruits from the Torah. I heard um, Rabbi Blech say and I'm going to apply it to, to this thought that we're saying right now that a human being is like the letter Vav because everyone knows Vav is the letter of connection. And so we're, we connect heaven and earth basically. We're partners with God. Now if you look at the letter Aleph remember Moshe Rabbeinu begins saying over Sefer Devarim, which is a book of the Torah, but it comes initially from his mouth, and then God tells him to write it down. So it it, it has this amazing status where simultaneously, it's the written Torah and the oral Torah. It's the complete merging of being. And it begins with this letter Aleph. What is Aleph? Aleph is two yuds, which spells the name of God, and Avav, which is the human being. So, in other words, Moshe begins Sefer Dvarim with the letter Aleph. He's the Vav, and he's merging completely with the two Yud's, which is Hashem. And out comes Sefer Dvarim. It's the highest level of prophecy. The highest level of prophecy. So... Okay, okay, good, Wow. So, let me tell you this. I was very happy about this. You know? So, so I, I'm sure many, many rabbis say this for a long time, but none of them told me. So, I'll, I'll just uh, say it in my name for now. But, uh, if I were more learned, I'm sure I could quote you 10 rabbis who say the same thing. The beginning of this week's Parsha, Vayera. Uh, uh, it says, Hashem comes to Moshe Rabbeinu with the name Yudke Vavke. He says, but I came to um, the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov with the name El Shaddai. Right? But I'm coming to you with the name Hashem. Hey and Hey." So I was thinking about this and I did the gematria of El Shaddai and do you know it's exactly the same as the gematria of Moshe? 345. And um, I only checked that five times. (laughs) So, 345 is El Shaddai and 345 is Moshe. Now, how are we to understand that? Especially within the context of saying, I came to the patriarchs with El Shaddai. I'll say Kel Shakai from now on. Um, and But I'm coming to you with the name Yudke Babke. How are we to understand that? And yet Moshe's name, his essence, is 345, which is the same as the other name. Okay, so let's broaden the context of this for a moment and it won't be long and we'll finish up so so understand the following Moshe Rabbeinu gets sent at the burning bush and remember we're always making a big point of it that that conversation Moshe Rabbeinu was saying no to Hashem for seven days that's how long the burning bush episode was seven days Moshe says no finally says Moshe says yes goes to Paro everything gets worse Everything gets worse. Then remember, you can see it with your own eyes. The the Ramban at the end of Sefer uh, at the end of Parsha Shmos, you can see it with your own eyes. I just looked at it again. It's it's, it's, it's you can't believe it as you're reading it. That according to the Tanhuma, and he quotes another Medrash as well. Moshe Rabbeinu then left Egypt for anywhere from three to six months. Left Egypt after that setback, left Egypt. Something that people don't talk about. Okay? And uh, how are we to understand that? I don't know. But that's, that's what it says. Now, Hashem says to Moshe, at the beginning of Vayera. all that happens in between the, uh, right? In between that white space and between the parshas, all that happens in between that, right? But, at the beginning of this parsha. When Moshe rebuked Hashem and said everything's gotten worse Hashem says to Moshe you know something? I made I made a promise to the Avos to Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov and I came to them with this name Keoshakai and they didn't see the fulfillment of my promise and they never complained to me they never complained to me he says, you, you are going to see the fulfillment of my promise to them. And that's the idea, the manifestation of this name, Yudke Vavke. Which is interesting, if you want to just think of it in this way, because Yudke Vodke means was, is, will be. So in other words, it would make sense that that name would include the fulfillment of a promise, because that name hints at the future as well. Not just the past, the promise to the Avos, but the future fulfillment of it as Hashem is communicating in the present tense. So that, that actually makes a lot of sense. So if you think about it, who is the, really the next person, macro speaking, you could give different answers to this, by the way, but on a macro level, who is the next person after Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? It's Moshe. It is Moshe. And um, you know, on some level he outstrips them all, if you could say such a thing. But it's Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and then Moshe. And Hashem came to the name to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov with the name Kel Shakai. So Moshe is the repository of that tradition. So it would make sense that Moshe is picking up where they left off. So that's why I would like to suggest. His gematria is 345, which is the same as Kelshakai, because he was also a recipient of the tradition of the promise. But he's now going to take it to the next level and be the recipient of the fulfillment of the promise. Right? So that's why 345 would correlate with the Avos, with the name that God appeared to the Avos with. Because he's in line with them, the recipient of the promise, but now he's going to get a, good, a new name, the Yudke Vavke, because he's going to see that promise fulfilled. Now it's true, he doesn't make it into the land of Israel. And one of the reasons, there are a lot of reasons why Moshe doesn't make it in, and do you know one of the reasons that he doesn't make it in? Is because of this event at the end of Parsha Shmos, because it says he complained to God about that, you know? Very sad, but nonetheless, Moshe got to the border with all the people and took all the, got the Torah and, you know, knew what was going to happen. So, you know, he was the recipient of the fulfillment of the promise on one level, certainly. Um, But, um, you know, but, but you must also say he didn't physically step into the land as well. Although, interestingly, he got to the border of Israel and that border area was given to um, uh, to Reuven and, and God. So that border area actually was part of Israel. So, so that's why he kept on asking God to get into Israel because he felt that the decree had been lifted because he was in this land which was given to those tribes which was technically Israel. So on some level he did make it into Israel. Okay. Um, Alright, Well, we'll just, uh, I guess we'll just stop here. <laughs> I wish I could wrap it up in a fancier way, but uh, my my mind is in about 40 different places right now. (laughs) Okay. Okay.